0: Please the court, Brad Bogan for Martin Renteria. The issue in this case is whether Congress clearly intended, for a statute meant to combat sex trafficking, and which was passed to implement an international convention on sex trafficking, was meant to apply to purely local instances of sexual assault of a child, in circumstances where the child, neither the child nor anyone else was trafficked, and which uh, circumstances which don't resemble trafficking in any way or the other types of cases that the statute is typically applied to, to, which is commercial prostitution.
1: And when was this argument first raised in front of the district court and how?
0: So it was first raised in a motion to dismiss. Uh, There were were four counts in the indictment, and there were various arguments on different counts. But relevant here, uh, Renteria moved to dismiss count four, which was the sex trafficking of a child count, arguing that the statute is targeting – it requires a commercial sex act, which requires a quid pro quo, something of value given on account of a sex act, and that that statute – so the, the the motion said uh, the government never alleged that Renteria trafficked the minor in any sense of the term. They alleged a sexual assault.
1: I guess I'm asking this. I saw there was some friction with the defendant, and he really wanted to press even to us – Commercial Sex Act, which seems consistent with the Motion of Smith's. when, Let me ask it more precisely when did Bond first get cited as authority that a crime hadn't been stated in this in Count 4?
0: So Bond uh, first cited in the appeal uh, in the opening brief.
1: So is, are, you, is, are you accepting the Bond argument is one of plain error to us or not?
0: Uh, no, I'm not, not accepting that. This argument is preserved. It's not necessary that the argument presented on appeal be identical to the argument that was presented in the district court. It's enough that... But you are not challenging the Commercial Sex Act element. Well, we were arguing that the statute does not reach this type of conduct, this type of purely local conduct that has nothing to do with anything resembling prostitution. But
1: then I looked at the charge conference, and it doesn't seem that comes up. If you remember in the charge, it seemed to me everyone was accepting interstate element was sufficient, the argument from your client at the charge conference was the phone couldn't qualify. Well, I'll it wasn't that you've judged. You've now heard a case that shouldn't even be submitted to the jury.
0: Well, we did make a Rule 29 motion at the close of the government, or excuse me, when yeah. the government rested its case, and at that time we made the same argument that we made in the motion to dismiss, which was that <clears throat> technically this is a pimping statute. So I think the, that we're very far afield from the purpose of the statute. So yes, we were talking about Commercial Sex Act. We were talking okay. about All right. the sufficiency of the evidence. But I want to be clear, I'm not making a sufficiency of the evidence argument
1: uh, here. Right, you're making a legal argument. It just doesn't state it
0: Right, which is just as in bond. So in bond, the conduct fit within the plain, literal text of the statute. But that wasn't enough for uh, uh, for, the, uh, for the statute to actually apply to that conduct in the view of the Supreme Court there.
1: I'll let you continue. I guess though, the natural next question is, has bond ever been applied to any federal crime that has an interstate commerce clause? Or, more, of course, more specifically, has it ever been applied to invalidate a 1591 conviction?
0: Okay, to my knowledge, it's never been applied to invalidate 1591. There have been bond challenges to 1591, but all of them that I saw involved actual commercial prostitution they weren't circumstances like this, which didn't have any element okay. of prostitution to it. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, yes, yeah, so uh, the issue is whether 1591 reaches this conduct. And so there's two, there's two commercial elements, uh, if you will, to 1591, one of which is that it has to be conduct has to be inter-affecting interstate or foreign commerce and that there has to be a commercial sex act. Uh, so Bond tells us that when a statute, a federal statute, intrudes upon an area of traditionally local concern that Congress has to clearly indicate that it meant for the statute to apply to that purely local conduct. And purely local conduct is what we have here. So uh, what happened was that the child wanted some things, a BMX bike, a hoverboard. So his father told him, well, if you want money for those, you're going to have to earn it. So the child went around the neighborhood knocking knocking on houses, offering to do chores in exchange for money. And so one of those houses was Renteria's, and so that's how Renteria and the child got involved. And so the child was doing some perfunctory chores at the house, like washing Renteria's car and mowing the lawn, uh, but was also just spending time with Renteria, hanging out with him. This happened over the course of about a month, month and a half. And during that time, Renteria assaulted, sexually assaulted the child four times, but he also plied the child with the things that he wanted, him a BMX 5. But unlike
1: the no. earlier child molestation conviction, here that did go state only, correct? Mm. His earlier conviction was a state-only case. Uh, there were two, yes. There were two. One he gets. I thought he was acquitted, and it, maybe not. Anyway, those do look purely interstate. But when you say this is purely local, I think the government's going to say the jury heard that the lubricant that was used was bought, and the enticing financial element, the bike was purchased interstate through the, through, the, through the channel of communication, the phone.
0: And, and that's no different from Bond. The conduct in Bond fit the elements of the statute. And there were interstate commerce connections in Bond. So some of the chemicals that Bond used in that case, she had purchased uh, from Amazon, if I remember correctly. Uh, the, she spread some of the chemicals on the, on the victim's mailbox. So that's another arguable federal nexus for the statute. But still, given the nature of that statute, which was meant to implement an international convention on chemical weapons and the requirement in the statute that there be a chemical weapon used, the Supreme Court said, and not for the first time in in, in analyzing statutes of this nature, that it seems odd to apply that to this type of local conduct. And so when there is that type of local conduct that is encompassed within the literal language of a broad statute, that at least raises some kind of ambiguity as to whether Congress clearly intended for the statute to reach that local conduct. Bond said no, and, and Bond wasn't a decision out of the blue. Uh, it relied in part on the Supreme Court's earlier decision in Jones. Yes.
1: Well, I'll we come back because you did answer my question about Bond as to 1591, but has any circuit applied Bond to invalidate a federal crime that does have an interstate commerce element?
0: Not to my knowledge.
1: So that would be a big step by us, uh, and that is what you're asking for.
0: I don't believe it would be a big step because of the Supreme Court's decision in Jones, which involved the federal arson statute, which also had an interstate okay. commerce element.
1: And you cited Jones?
0: Uh, in the reply brief, yes, in the discussion of Bond. The
1: right. so Jones did, is a better case, I agree for you, than Bond, I think. But you'd, you'd say, probably say the two
0: together. I'd say the two together yeah. uh, because, again, as I was saying, Bond wasn't anything new. It didn't break any new ground. It relied on other cases in which the court had said, when there is this federal intrusion on a matter of traditionally local concern and sexual assault of a child clearly a matter of traditionally local concern, there has to be a clear indication on the part of Congress to reach that conduct, even if the conduct at issue would fit the literal terms of the statute. Uh, And Again, here, the evidence was presented to the jury. They found that the evidence was sufficient. Uh, on the commercial elements of the statute, so I'm not raising a sufficiency challenge. It's purely a challenge to whether Congress clearly indicated for 1591 to reach local instances of sexual assault. And I didn't see in the government's brief any cases where a court has applied or sustained a conviction under 1591 under facts like this. They're all prostitution cases, either adult women who are coerced or forced into prostitution, whether they cross state lines or whether it happens in, you know, purely locally through using hotels, or it's children who are How is, coerced or entitled.
1: Why isn't what he did here prostitution? I mean, he pays something of value to get sex. Why
0: well, isn't that prostitution? Partly because there was no pimp involved here, which again... But he's pimping for himself. I don't think that's what the statute is targeted at, and that, that doesn't resemble the facts of the other cases that are cited in the government's brief or other cases that I've seen... Sometimes there are instances where uh, the pimp is initially the person who's sexually abusing the child and then starts prostituting the child, maybe by advertising on the Internet or something like that or arranging liaisons with Johns uh, using telephones where the encounters happen in hotels, things like that. I mean, the closest that I found was, or that I found, I don't remember the name of the case, but where a, a mother was basically prostituting her child and the john was either paying the mother or providing the mother drugs uh, as compensation for that. But that's not what was happening here. If, if this is enough to constitute sex trafficking under 1591, then there's a large universe, perhaps, I don't know, a majority of just local sexual assault cases that are all of a sudden federal cases. And yet, there doesn't seem to be any cases like that so far uh, the courts have decided, and the statute was passed 23
2: years ago. So that, that gets to the federal-state balance question. Yes, right, it where, does. Where you have, uh, you have the obligation to show that this would significantly uh, upset the federal-state balance. Yes. And it's,
0: in, in the view of the Supreme Court, as articulated in Jones and in Bond, it's, it's, it's the fact, it's not that the federal government is pushing the state aside necessarily. It's that the federal government is potentially intruding upon an area that is traditionally the province of the states. And that in itself implicates the federal state balance and is an infringement on the federal state balance. And so that's why in Bond, the Supreme Court said we're going to interpret this statute not to reach the conduct there. It's why in Jones, the Supreme Court interpreted the federal arson statute not to reach just an owner-occupied residence that wasn't actually being employed for a commercial purpose. Again, even though there were arguable commercial connections in Jones, the the, the the house was hooked up to gas service. The owner of the house had a mortgage on it. So there were commercial You, know,
2: so you, you cited Jones several times in the answers to my two colleagues. The statute there, federal arson any property used in interstate foreign commerce, any activity affecting interstate foreign commerce, it was a private residence with you know, internet connections, whatever else you, you talked about other ways that interstate commerce might have been involved. That, to me, was quintessentially a, a local crime, crime, a, a local event, local crime, that is distinguishable from what we're talking about here. Uh, it, it seems to me that the real question in our case is whether Congress intended to reach this or not. Uh, and I just don't see Jones as a particularly helpful case to you, just because it was so far afield from a property engaged in interstate commerce, a private home. Uh, and here we have all the elements, as you say, of, of, of the 1591 crime, but you just think it's too attenuated.
0: Uh, it is too attenuated, again, because look at the statute, look at the caption of the case, or excuse me, the statute, 1591, sex trafficking of a child. There are congressional findings about why the statute was adopted in the first place, and it was to implement this international convention on sex trafficking which the convention and Congress envisioned as something akin to slavery or involuntary servitude. The statute has been expanded since then uh, to include not just international sex trafficking but also interstate sex trafficking and, and, and sex trafficking that happens within a state, but it's, it's still targeting circumstances that are actually or akin to commercial prostitution. There's no clear indication that Congress meant for this to apply, to an ordinary sexual assault that happens in a purely local area without any com- connections to commerce other than those that virtually anybody else who's living in modern society would have, which is, you know, visiting, <clears throat> or patronizing international businesses, using uh, uh, payment processes through a credit union. So <clears throat> it's true bond is not 100% on point. Jones is not 100% on point. But the core principle in those cases applies here, that where the statute infringes upon a matter of traditionally local concern, there must be a clear indication that Congress meant to reach it. And If, a, if,
1: if that's the test, is it relevant, and I'm remembering this from the pretrial com- hearings, that this was a joint task force? The
0: state brought this case to the federal government. Uh, I don't believe this was a task force case. This is out of the Midland Division of right. the Western District but of Texas. It, a lot of those cases that I've seen, there's no task force, it's just the feds picking up state cases. And so Renteria was first charged in state court, and to my knowledge, remains charged in state court. I think he's still in the Midland County Jail, uh, awaiting the the disposition of those charges. But uh, the the U.S. came in, charged him in federal court with two counts initially, it was just the production of child pornography and then committing a sex offense against a child while being a registered sex offender. And then, after Renteria lost his motion to suppress, the government went to the grand, back to the grand jury and piled on additional charges, which the government had threatened to do if he pressed, uh, pressed on with his motion to suppress. And that's when the 1591 charge and also the possession of child pornography charges
2: were added. Okay. Hmm. All right. You saved time for a bottle, Mr. Lightman. Okay. Thank you. Ms. Arnold Davis?
3: Good morning, Your Honors. May it please the Court, Natasha Hernwell Davis on behalf of the United States. Courts have consistently found that bond does not apply to statutes with a Commerce Clause element. Section 1591 contains that Commerce Clause element, and the inquiry should stop there.
1: But it, Jones is a problem for that statement.
3: Not necessarily, Your Jones
1: Honor. had an interstate Commerce element, and still the Court didn't allow
3: The. Supreme Court in Jones was interpreting the phrase in the use of commerce. So it wasn't necessarily interpreting the kind of existence of the in or affecting commerce, which is what we have here. It was narrowing the interpretation of the phrase the use of. I do briefly want to touch on the standard of review, which is that the uh, should be for plain error because the objections below were not adequate to alert the court that Renteria was raising a statutory challenge. Um, I also, on the topic of Jones, would like to point the court to Bass, which is to say that in Bass, the Supreme Court narrowed the interpretation of that um, gun statute such that where the federal government shows on a case-by-case basis a nexus to the Commerce Clause, the court said there is no federalism concern there. Bond does not apply to Section 1591 because 1591... So I'm
1: sorry, you you've made, I think, three points, maybe just two, because the third sounds like the first. But on the standard of review, you're saying the motion to dismiss doesn't contemplate a... It was a motion to dismiss, so it was saying this isn't legally sufficient.
3: It was saying, and I have the motion... You
1: know, would you just go ahead and just describe, how is it not comprehending a statutory attack?
3: Because it's a page-and-a-half-long motion that's focuses on whether or not there was a quid pro quo for the sexual conduct. You can also see, I believe, at the record site 1312 where the defense, um, the trial counsel characterizes the motion to dismiss as nobody testified to a quid pro quo. I think this was the subject of our motion to dismiss. The court, the trial court, denied the motion to dismiss on kind of this essentially factual ground and said it was a question for the jury to determine whether or not there was a quid pro quo. Renteria never renewed his objection or clarified to say, you know, that's not the grounds of my objection. What I'm really talking about here is a statutory challenge that the Fed shouldn't even be here. He never— well,
1: I suppose, I guess, if, if, if it isn't a crime— as a matter of law, that sounds like it would probably rise to plain error. I'm not sure the analysis would end up that different.
3: I agree that under either de novo review or plain error review, the government wins, but I think the easier path through this case is through plain error. We would certainly prefer the court to say that there is no error, but I think the easiest way for this court to address this case is to say that any error was not plain, given that no court has ever rejected a 15 has ever accepted a bond challenge to 1591 and indeed two other circuits have said that bond just simply does not apply.
1: What 1591 case do you have that has these facts where I guess the closest interstate commerce element is that the fact that he bought the bike on the internet?
3: Mm -hmm. I'd point the court to two cases in particular as similar. The first is wills, which this court decided, I believe, last year, and the Supreme Court recently denied cert on. The second case is Adams in the Eighth Circuit. So I cite two Adams cases. One is a district court case that gives a very excellent overview of the legislative history, but I would point the court to the Eighth Circuit case. In those cases, the defendants were giving things like drugs, like gifts. Um, In those cases, it was to the mother, but the statute doesn't make a distinction between whether or not the gifts are given to the child or to a mother because the definition of Commercial Sex Act says anything of value given but to Do you
1: have them. any case just factually that's neighbor preying on child that's charged as a 1591? Because it is sort of this – this man seems to be a recidivist, sure. and he did, I think – I guess the other way I'd ask this question is that the state molestation case of his, where he assaults the child in the bedroom or on the couch, that goes state. Would your position, your if we accept your interpretation, could the federal government have prosecuted that one too? Uh,
3: the federal government could not have prosecuted, I believe it's Minor Victim 3 in particular. Excuse me, Minor Victim, yes, Minor Victim 3. Uh, and that case is where he went into the bedroom... So he spent the night after a neighborhood yeah. barbecue, went into the bedroom, and touched the child's genitals. Yeah. There, there was no indication that anything of value was given for the Sex Act, and so the federal government could not have brought a case under 1591. Okay. I would also say That's that...
1: That's the limiting principle. It's really, it dovetails. you're resting more on the Commercial Sex Act than you are on the bike purchase to entice.
3: I think the stronger, so I would say that there are several limiting principles here. The strongest limiting principle is the existence of the the commercial aspect. So there has to be a thing of value given in exchange for the sex act. In this case, I think this case actually illustrates kind of the limitation because you do have minor victim two and minor victim three where the government could not have brought charges under 1591. You do also have the commerce clause as a limiting principle. It is incredibly broad. We are kind of getting to the limits but it is nevertheless a limiting principle. You also have the fact that it has to be a child, or if it's an adult, it has to be in, like using force, fraud, or coercion. So there are limiting principles to the statute. The federal government cannot bring a charge under 1591 for every instance of child sex abuse. Um, so bond simply just does not apply where there is the Commerce Clause element written into the statute Two courts have already rejected, two circuits have already rejected such challenges. That's Walls in the Ninth Circuit and Macmillan in the Seventh Circuit. Uh, this court has already in Faye, which is spelled F-H-E-A, rejected a very similar challenge. Um, I think it's worth citing uh, part of the decision in Faye where it sounds very similar to the challenge that Renteria is making. So, quote, Faye contends that Congress could not validly regulate purely local activity under the Commerce Clause, arguing that the conduct at issue in his case, quote, falls outside the ambit of the Supreme Court's decision in Gonzalez versus Raich. This issue is not raised in the district court, but in any event, it fails on the merits because there was evidence of an interstate nexus in this case.
1: And you cited, you cited that in your brief, right?
3: I did, yes, Your Honor. Uh, I just want to note it's spelled F-H-E-A, so it's not phonetic. <laughs> Um,
2: speak, speak to Mr. Bogan's point that it matters that this is not a prostitution. You can address whether it is prostitution, but whether that matters.
3: I, I think it does not matter here. Uh, I think it is fair to characterize it as Mr. Renteria essentially acting as the pimp himself. I think Renteria's argument essentially boils down to a perceived mismatch between the title of the statute and the, commercial, the definition of commercial sex act, but of course the title of the statute, which uses the phrase sex trafficking, is not a basis to narrow the statutory definition. I also briefly want to address the argument that uh, Bond had a commercial aspect to it. The statute in Bond did not have a Commerce Clause element, In Bond, the United States disavowed a Commerce Clause argument, and so the court never considered that statute under the Commerce Clause. The fact that Bond purchased chemicals from Amazon is a fact of the case, but it doesn't help inform the legal analysis because there was no Commerce Clause element in that statute. So the fact that Bond used Amazon doesn't give the answer to this case because the statute, 1591 does contain a commerce clause element.
1: Okay, but that that does sort of, he brought up in the reply, but if you haven't yet had a chance to talk about Jones, that argument would be hard to harmonize with Jones.
3: I think the, I, I don't believe so, Your Honor. So Jones was very much about the court interpreting the phrase in the use of and as opposed to the existence of the phrase in or affecting interstate commerce.
1: Okay, so the house that the arsonist burns down is not in the use of interstate commerce. Exactly. Here the sexual assault of the child affects interstate commerce because what?
3: It's that the conduct uh, has a commerce clause nexus. And so the jury heard evidence that Renteria used a lubricant that was manufactured out of state, that he purchased goods from national retailers, the BMX bike in particular, the jury heard evidence had moved interstate. You also have the use of the cell phone that was manufactured in Vietnam. So that cell phone was used to coordinate the abuse, to record the abuse, and also to time the abuse. You also have the existence of him using his Visa debit card to purchase a number of the items. If this court does believe that it needs to do a bond analysis and look for a clear indication, Congress did give such an indication. So I'm going to sound a bit repetitive, but here you do have the existence of the phrase affecting commerce to show that Congress intended to reach to the full breadth of its Commerce Clause authority. You have the legislative findings where Congress said that child sex abuse is a um, domestic concern, and Congress, I think it's worth noting, didn't put in any threshold. So it didn't have to be a certain number of children. It didn't have to be a certain value of good. Congress indicated that it very much wanted this statute to reach as broadly as possible. You can see that in other aspects of the statute. So you have the strict liability as to the child's age, you have the fact that it doesn't require the sex act actually occur, that it it uses the future tense. It uses the word any three times in the definition of commercial sex act in 2015. And I think this actually kind of just actually in some ways goes to the heart of the case. So in 2015, Congress added language to clarify that the statute includes purchasing sex. And so when you talk about kind of is this a common-sex trafficking prosecution, Congress indicated that it didn't just want to reach instances where there were kind of uh, people crossing state lines to traffic a number of individuals. It was very clear that it also wanted to reach the act of purchasing sex from a single individual. You also have the higher mandatory minimum where a child is under the age of 14. There is ultimately no mismatch between the definition of Commercial Sex Act and the common understanding. As I've already said, the title Sex Trafficking isn't a basis to narrow the interpretation. And the last point that I'd like to make is that Bond was, in in the case itself, the Supreme Court describes Bond as, quote, curious, unusual, and the result of, quote, exceptional convergence of factors. And you just don't see any basis here uh, to reverse the conviction. Unless the court has any further questions, I will rest on the briefs. All right, thank you, Ms. Harwell Thank you. This.
2: Mr. Bogan for rebuttal.
0: On the standard of review question, I just want to point to the precise language that was in the motion to dismiss. Charging an alleged assault under a statute designed to combat slavery and involuntary servitude goes far beyond the plain meaning and purpose of the statute. Now, I don't know how you can interpret that to mean anything other than the argument that we're making here, which is that the statute doesn't, Congress did not clearly intend for the statute to reach this conduct. The only thing we didn't do below was say bond, and cite bond for this proposition, or Jones. But there, and in the Rule 29 motion at the... Uh, uh, at the end of the government's case. We renewed that argument so the argument is preserved. Uh, We're not on plain error. Now, again, I mentioned before that it doesn't appear that the government had cited any case where someone was prosecuted or a conviction was upheld in circumstances like this. And here, all of the cases that the government mentioned, they were all commercial prostitution operations. And so that's again, that is not what we have here.
1: The P H E A case? Yes, because they cite they do cite it, and you haven't responded in the reply brief to it. it do you remember? Do you know the case?
0: Uh, my office had it on a twenty two fifty five later on in my records.
1: So, so that was a pimp again. It was it, that case involved
0: it involved commercial prostitution. Uh, now, as to the limiting principle that the government offered that the interstate commerce elements mean that not just any uh, not just any uh, uh, instance of sexual assault will uh, will fall within the statute under the government's interpretation here though it, it wouldn't take much if somebody if Renteria had just invited the child into his house and given the child ice cream that Renteria had purchased at the grocery store i don 't see how that would be any different from The purchasing of a BMX bike or the hoverboard or taking the child to eat at restaurants, that would involve just as much of an involvement with interstate commerce as just a relatively de minimis instance of giving a child ice cream that had been purchased in commerce. And so there's really not much of a limiting principle. So true, not every instance of child sexual assault would necessarily fit the terms of this statute. For example, if somebody is visiting some friends, goes into the child's bedroom and molests them? Probably not. But I submit that there's probably very, very many instances of state offenses that are similar to this, and as I said before, it's taken us 23 years to find out that this is something that the statute covers. I think that's, that's, that's strong evidence that even the government hasn't sought to prosecute people for this as far as we know, and I
2: haven't heard of any case where they've done so. Thank you Mr. Bogan. Your case Thank you case under submission. Next case for today, Tesla Incorporated versus National Labor.